Uh, y'all miss me? It's time. <laughs> Let's go. Come on now. You gotta get in, get in with me. I'm trying to try to dodge a scene. 1250. All you gotta do is get in with me. You gotta pay the price. Look like a bag of ice. Like I don't live my life. Uh uh. Uh uh. Bang bang. This ain't no Harachi. Bad bitch, fifty flow. In Hibachi. All my bitches mad at me. Valet Park Designer District. I'm going straight to Gallery. Jules Feeling, y'all. Yeah, yeah. Phone ringing, y'all. Yeah, yeah. Niggas hating, y'all. Yeah, yeah. Jules Feeling, y'all. Phone ringing, y'all. Niggas hating, y'all. Jury blinging, y'all. It's better now. I'm trying to dodge the scene. Twelve fifty. All you gotta do is get in with me. They know I'm a walking ticket. You gotta pay the price. Look like a bag of ice. Like I'm loving my life. Come on now. And that was. Boss man D Lo, get in with me. He's an uprising Florida rapper that I really like. I really like his music. His this song specifically it got viral. It got viral on TikTok because of it's gonna sound weird. Rick Ross's baby mother. Yes, Rick Ross's baby mom's. Her name is Tia Camp. I think this is the first baby mom's, or maybe this. I don't know. But Rick Ross's baby mother, she was going on Instagram live, okay? And she was playing the song incessantly to the point where you're like, what? Is, is she somehow connected to the label or somehow connected? No, she was just a big fan of this song. And during one of Instagram lives where she's unhinged and just talks a whole bunch of smack about her daughter-in-law or one of her stepkids, and of course, Rick Ross. <laughs> it's pathetic, whatever it is, what it is. But she had a funny dance that went with this song. So if you go on TikTok right now, after you listen to my podcast and you give it five stars, uh, appreciate that. Go check it out. Search up Tia Camp on TikTok. It'll be the first, the first thing that's gonna show up, right? And it was hilarious. I found it funny. And then it just all of a sudden became a bop to me. I started liking it and I'm like, hey, let me let me rock with it. <laughs> you know, sometimes it'd be like that. Sometimes it's like that. You you think I might not even like this song, but then it just grows on you. That's how I felt about this. The Get In With Me song by um Bossman Dilo. You know what I mean? He had some controversy attached to it because Bossman Dilo <laughs> he went on Clubhouse. But this is crazy. So this is this song and the story is spanning now maybe three apps. It's not now four apps because you're on your Spotify or maybe an Apple podcast listening to me. Maybe Google. I don't know what you're listening to me through. But long story short, Boss Mandilo went on Clubhouse last week. Okay. 
So in one of the rooms, he was talking about how Tia Kemp, keep in mind, Tia Kemp is like an auntie. She's probably in her late 40s, early 50s, something, something like that. She, She's around Rick Ross's age, elderly woman, right? And basically on Clubhouse, he was basically saying how Tia Kemp was hitting on him, right? How she wanted to fool around, play around with him. And he was curving it. Keep in mind, D'Lo is... Uh, a boss man, Dilo, I think he's in his early 20s, something like that. He's young. He's young. He's Regardless to say, Tia Kemp went on IG Live and she was mad about it. She was like, hey, you're lying on my name. So the drama eventually bleeds into uh, Tia Kemp going on Instagram Live and exposing boss man, D-Lo, with nudes, apparently, Buzzman Dilo likes to, <laughs> apparently the term is getting spready gibbs, spready gibbs meaning rim jobs, and if you don't know what a rim job is, the best way I can describe it is a man getting his booty eaten by a woman, that's the best way you can describe it, right, essentially that's what Bossman Dilo was doing with a certain woman, <laughs> and that woman took a, pic a, a picture of you know, boss man spreading it wide open. Yes, Maserati doors. It's a disgusting visual, and I'm sorry I even have to subject y'all to that. But allegedly, he liked doing this, and the woman who he was doing this with decided in her infinite wisdom to send it to Auntie Tia Kemp, and she displayed it on Instagram Live. So, this is called revenge porn. Let's just be real about it. It's gross. It is what it is. But also a second part of this is that boss man D-Lo was asleep in a hotel. And either this woman or another woman recorded him sleeping naked. Right? Uh, you know, this man might need a CPAP machine. He was snoring loud as hell. But also since she was, he was naked in this woman's wisdom, she took a video of his D. Right? And... Tia Kemp on their Instagram live not only showed the D, but she was making fun of the D. So this story went from let's start off from the very beginning. It started as a story of boom. This is a very good song that an old lady is dancing on about to her showing revenge porn on the Instagram live and denouncing the song. <laughs> Regardless to say, uh there's no winners in this story. I think the winner, I might, might, I'm gonna scratch that. The winner in this story, I think, is Boss Mandilo, because despite having a shrimp unit and like to get his ass eaten, he has a hit. And I personally believe this is a hit. This is a song that's not only going viral, but a lot of people like and appreciate it. And I started the podcast with it. You know what I mean? So I appreciate that song myself. You know, on another level, though, I want to say. Thank you so much for everybody who's tuning in to episode 69. And I'm not going to put this on Patreon. I'm just going to release it right away uh, because y'all deserve it. It's been too long and um, we got to do it. We got to do it. We got to do it because y'all are patient. Y'all are patient with me. And I have seen, I'm not ignorant, I have seen some of the numbers rising, meaning more people are checking out the podcast, more people are sharing it, the numbers are up, the analytics are looking right, and that makes me very happy. That makes me very happy. 
Um, and you know, I, I'm going to give y'all more of what you want. You know, it's been a busy time for your boy, but I'm going to start this off with the most important thing right now, right? Which is, excuse me, Super Bowl 58, Super Bowl 58. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We're talking about Super Bowl 58, man. Super Bowl 58 was the San Francisco 49ers losing to the two-time champions, Kansas City Chiefs, 25-22. to I had a bold prediction that the Niners would crush the Chiefs. I was so wrong. People calling it the Swift Bowl or the Taylor Bowl or whatever it was. Irregardless of whatever you want to call it, <laughs> you got to call it an interesting, fun, great game. And I'm giving y'all analysis from <laughs> almost two weeks after, but it's all good. I'm still going to give you some of my thoughts and opinions right? because it's it, it's recent-ish, you know what I mean? And, and, you know, obviously there was a tragedy with the shooting at the parade. I'm going to start off by saying this. My condolences to everybody who was hurt during that parade. Um, I do know the Kansas City, Missouri is, you know, I don't know how their gun laws are. I don't know how that state functions with the, you know, how the those situations are. I do know that at least the suspects, that were the information that I know is the suspects were teenagers who were allegedly, um, you know, there were minors that were not over the age of 18. Um, you know, I, why do they have guns? I don't know. Why are they taking guns to the parade and willing to shoot people up? I don't know. At least from what I heard and reports, it was some kind of personal beef. It wasn't something that was planned or premeditated like a school shooting. Uh, I got to give props to the people who were willing to jump on these shooters and stop them from getting even more crazy you know what i mean so in that sense uh you know despite the story being kind of entertainment because it is entertainment that's what i try to do for y'all is give y'all entertainment with these podcasts we have to understand and have a sober mind that you know shootings especially in the united states are not only common but it becomes a non-story very quick because these things are so common and we have to be conscious of that. Me, right now, I live in Canada. As most of the podcast audience knows, most of the podcast audience is Canadian. Shouts out to y'all. We have very, very strict gun laws. I do have some controversial, not controversial, just some thoughts about it where I believe they should be more lax because criminals are people who want to do bad things with guns. They're going to find guns. They're going to find guns. They're going to use guns. And there's no point in making it harder for, um, quote unquote, harder for bad guys to get guns. If somebody wants a tool, they can get a tool. <laughs> it's, it's not that hard to get. It's not that hard to find. It, it's not like there's no connections. If somebody wants to get a Blick, they can easily get one. But what we want to do is incentivize a society where people who are good people, people who are conscious and who are protectors, have better access and better availability towards that. I personally believe a great way to curb 
the epidemic of gun violence is actually having people who have guns just in case and who are ready to protect and use it in the right way. All right. In that sense, you have a society or a community that's more aware about a hey, F around and find out right? that intimidation factor. Now, is there should there be more checks? Should there be more evaluations? Should there be more research into who can access and when they can access guns? Absolutely. But I think that people who are not only willing, but people who are responsible should have very, very easy access to guns and gun ownership because that would make a safer society. Right. But me, I'm not a legislature, legislation person, a congressperson, an MP, minister of parliament. I'm not going to make those proclamations. Y'all check with them. I don't make the laws and the rules. OK, I just think that we can do better as a society. And I think about Kansas City, they can do better. They turned into a joyous moment with the Kansas City Chiefs winning their second Super Bowl in a row. Their third in five years. That's crazy if you really think about it. No, three in five years, man. That's nuts, dog. That's nuts. And they're obviously a dynasty. They're obviously a dynasty because they have a guy called Patrick Mahomes in the center. And even more important than Mahomes, they have a coach called Andy Reid. Andy Reid. He's the key, guys. I don't know if y'all want to admit it or not. I don't think you guys want to. It's not a sexy topic per se. But the reason the Chiefs won is because of Andy Reid and Steve Spagnolo. Yeah. That defense held the, the Niners to 22 points. Throughout the whole season, the Niners were beating teams and averaging like some 30-some points. The whole season, Christian McCaffrey was getting 100-yard rushing games. He only had 80 this game. Now, Christian McCaffrey did really well in the passing game, eight receptions, 80 yards, and a touchdown. But that defense was so critical, especially on some critical third downs and fourth downs, for the Niners, where Chris Jones would come in and disrupt entire plays. You had the DBs for the Chiefs holding Brandon Ayuk. I think Brandon Ayuk had one catch, and he's their best receiver. You know what I mean? Debo is their best offensive weapon. I'm talking about the Niners, and Debo barely did anything. Three catches, 33 yards. And don't get me started on what happened to George Kittle. George Kittle had two catches for four yards. They completely shut down the passing game. And and you would think an individual like Brock Purdy would lose you the game. I don't think Brock Purdy had a terrible game. No, it's just that the defense of the, the Chiefs had a better game. I'm sorry I did tell you. You know, Mahomes is not directly facing Brock Purdy. And I hate how the NFL likes to have all these narratives. Oh, Brock versus Purdy. Lamar versus Lamar Holmes. Uh, Josh Allen versus... No. No, it's defenses versus offenses. And you'll have a unit of 11 guys who will dominate 11 other guys. Or, like this game was, it was a chess match. It was a 
in my eyes, it was a defensive chess match. Where you had a guy like Steve Wilkes who was going against Steve Spagnolo. You had Andy Reid going against Kyle Shanahan. And the more experienced duo won. The one that planned better won. That last play, that touchdown to McCall Hardman, that was basically uh they call it they call it some pudding pop or whatever. Some some kind of some kind of motion play in the backfield that looks like an in but curls out to be like an out. You know what I mean? That was genius. And that was the play that they used last year to Sky Moore in order for them to win that Super Bowl versus the Eagles. Same play. Same motion. All right. And they used it at the right time because that play had not been injected in the playbook or even called the entire game. So at this point, Steve Brooks didn't have the right coverage for it because he was in man. And I think he was blitzing at that point. In my eyes, it was a defensive masterclass from Steve Spagnuolo and a really, really well-called game by Andy Reid, especially in overtime, because this went to overtime. The sad thing is a lot of the Niners players didn't even know the overtime rules. This is, let me, this, this makes me go back to what I said prior. It's about preparation. It's about being smart. It's about knowing, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do in this moment. The most prepared team in 99% of the time is usually the better team. And I, I, and you know what? Think about the, the, think about the dynasty of the Patriots, man. Think about the Patriots dynasty. The Patriots dynasty really, really was, yes, you'll say the second half, the three rings that uh, happened after 2002. I think it was 2019. No, no, no. It was after 2014, right? Those three rings, you could say a lot of that was because of Brady. I'm talking about the ring, especially that ring that happened from... um, from the Atlanta Falcons game. I forget which Super Bowl that was, but you could ascribe a lot of that to uh, James White, Tom Brady, Julian Edelman with some amazing catches. That Super Bowl and those forward, I'm talking about the Super Bowl, even versus uh, the Seahawks. You know what I mean? I think that was the last Super Bowl that they had underneath that dynasty. They had another Super Bowl, I think, prior that I'm escaping. But those three Super Bowls, those you could give a lot of the credit to Tom Brady, but guess what? Tom Brady was very prepared for those Super Bowls. The first three rings that the Patriots got under Bill Belichick, bro, that was all Belichick's defense. That was all about planning. That was all coaching, and a lot of uh, suspect ref ref calls. But you have to be real about it. When you look at the the sport of football, in its essence, it's a chess match, dog. It's a chess match. It's uh, you're going to go do this. I'm going to go do that. And we're going to try to stop each other for the next three hours. We're going to try to outsmart each other and out strengthen each other. And we're going to see who has the will and the intelligence to stand on top. Now, what happened within this game, the Super Bowl 58 that I'm talking about, the Chiefs were not a stronger team. No, they were not. They were not even a more skilled team. They were a smarter team. 
and they had the mental will and fortitude to say, hey, bruh, we're going to be ready in any situation and we're going to make the right moves when needed to make a situation happen. That's what, the, that's what a champion is. See, a champion is not somebody who is the most polished, you know, individual. No, no. A champion is somebody that has the heart and the intelligence to do the right thing at the right time and make the right decisions in order to win. Patrick Mahomes. If we're being objective, Justin Herbert is more talented than Patrick Mahomes. He's probably faster. He probably has a stronger arm. Lamar Jackson is more naturally gifted than Patrick Mahomes because Lamar Jackson has the greatest, is literally the one of the most elusive runners the NFL has ever seen. And also Lamar Jackson has a cannon. Lamar Jackson has a strong arm, maybe stronger than Mahomes. But the difference is they don't have the mentality of Mahomes. They don't have, you know, these attributes that we ascribe to a lot of the goats. We're talking about Michael Jordan. We're talking about, you know, I hate to say it, Tom Brady. We're talking about Cristiano Ronaldo. We're talking about Messi. We're talking about guys, you know, Novak Djokovic, guys who are just elite at their sport. Because at that point, the talent level is around the same base. You know what I'm saying? It's not like one person is just bah, hugely talented above the other. No, because now you're in a professional league where the talent, you know, factor is not that large. No, the, the, what's, what is large is the mental factor. And that's why the Chiefs, I, I don't like the Chiefs. You, y'all probably know, I don't F with the Chiefs. I don't like them, but I respect them. I respect them because you can even take lessons and learn from this. That, oh, wow, that's what it takes. I don't have to be the most talented and most naturally gifted. No, I just need to have the mentality and be smart and execute at the right time. Yes. Executing at the right time and being smart is very, very important in the game of football and also in the game of life. You know what I mean? And I chose to preach today. Episode 69. <laughs> I could have made this a sex podcast, but I didn't. <laughs> Y'all got to give me props for that. <laughs> I got to say it like this, man. We got, it, Talking about sex, man. Got to talk about Monique, man. We got to talk about Monique. Actually, nah, let's not talk about Monique. Let's talk about Omale. <laughs> That's a more sexual type of topic. Okay. So if you don't know who Omale is, y'all can go Google him. Omale, he is a Nigerian artist mostly does a lot of singing based uh you know music afro beats you know the thing about him is that omale uh does the usher thing <laughs> and that's something that maybe i could have talked about a little bit in my super bowl breakdown but let's talk about this the thing is usher had a halftime show if y'all didn't know and the halftime show i personally thought was great um, but it had a bit of controversy, namely with Usher dancing and grinding with <laughs> Alicia Keys, who looked very snack. Alicia Keys looked snackish, man. She got some thickness on her, man. The thighs, the cheeks, the cheeks. Episode 69. I'm telling you, 
That is somebody who a lot of men would not mind 69ing with. Shout out to the position 69. It's very fun, very enjoyable for both individuals involved. Shout out to that. Uh, I got distracted a little bit, but I'm back now. So at a certain point inside, during, not inside, <laughs> during, during that performance, uh, Usher got very affectionate, was grinding on her, her in the back and getting very touchy and sensual with Alicia Keys. And it sparked a big debate, you know, online about boundaries. Keep in mind, Alicia Keys is married to Swiss Beats, a legendary producer. And this prompted a few days later for Swiss Beats to say, hey, Usher and Alicia Keys made a great performance at the Super Bowl. Their performers, I ain't tripping, basically saying it's all good. Now, where does Omar Lay fit into this <laughs> this little, you know, tangent I just went on? Very, very perfectly, actually. So Omar Lay is on tour right now. Um, he's essentially an emerging Nigerian artist. Um, he's released actually a lot of bangers, uh, so so and the uh, holy uh holy God, holy ghost i really like holy ghost and he's 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 a very 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 talented nigerian artist afrobeats art and at his show a few days ago not even a few days ago i think it was today no it was yesterday he at somewhere on tour he has this thing that he does is where he brings a female audience member on stage and dances with them and you know puts a cover right uh on on him and that female audience member and leaves a silhouette where he does very sexual things with that woman and dancing in a super sexual manner okay so because you know omale's music is very sensual you know what i mean r&b type afro beats you know what i mean so he did this with one of his audience members but she was there with her boyfriend Keep in mind, this is being recorded. So this is being recorded, and they're dancing very. I might even put it in the description, man. After you finish giving this podcast five stars, I appreciate that. Dancing very sexually, doing all type of ish, and you know, it looked very disrespectful. <laughs> it was like it was like damn. And the person who was filming this was getting shots of the boyfriend reacting to this, and he looked understandably so very upset about this man she was doing all type of ish man she was doing the most man she was doing everything and anything for this dude and keep in mind you know omale is not a huge superstar but he's very popular he's he's not on some usher vibes that's what i'm gonna say and for me my thing is by the way there was also around the end of the video it, they had a video of him uh, of the boyfriend leaving the event solo, assuming that he was leaving his girl, all of that. Now, for me, I'm going to say it like this. I personally think there's levels of respect. You know, if you respect your man, there's certain things you're not going to do in public, especially with an artist, somebody who you're not even, you know, you're not in a relationship with them. There's certain boundaries you should have, but it's up to the man to establish them boundaries, right? And you know what? If a woman... In the other way around, if the woman has, you know, certain boundaries with her man, she got to vocalize them and say that before it goes to that level. I personally, 
I'll be real, man. I'm petty. <laughs> I would have broke up with her right there. I'll be real with you. I would start hollering at some of the girls inside the 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 uh, in the audience. <laughs> you know what I mean? I would have been like, "Yo, we're done, man. It's over. It's over." That's me. I'm petty. You know what I mean? But if a woman's doing that, not only in front of my face, it's disrespectful. I find it disrespectful. You know, some might not. Some might might roll like that. That might actually be a turn on for them. Interestingly so, maybe. I just don't roll like that. I won't go for that. I can't go for that. I'm not doing that. That's just not me. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I will put the link to some of the Twitter videos that was circulating online. Y'all let me know your thoughts. You know, I might even put this as a question in the podcast notes, but let me know your thoughts. Do you think that it was right? You know what I mean? Now, when I look at Omale, it's part of his performance. I'm pretty sure he's doing this with, uh, you know, every tour stop he's in. You know what I mean? He has a huge female following. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's doing this all over his tour, right? But for me, I look at it like this. If you're my woman, you you won't cross certain boundaries, even with an artist. You can say no, or you can do a bit less. You don't have to do the most, that's the issue here. The girl was doing the most, you know, and if your girl's doing the most, it's like, yeah, really? What would you do if I wasn't here? <laughs> you know, because let me tell you, this, a lot of these artists be getting it in with women in relationships. Little do you know, there are some women out here who are married, who are dating out here, who are getting a freak on with artists, man. Yes, he came to tour in the city. You're going to the hotel room. What do you think is happening in the hotel room? They're not reading scripture readings, bro. They're not game planning for the Super Bowl. No, they're getting a deep penetration. It is what it is. You know what I mean? But it's all about having boundaries and saying, hey, this is what I want, to, want us to do. This is what I don't want us to do. Right? And what I don't want people to do in, in general is not to go off on my boy Shannon Sharp. Now, Shannon Sharp, Club Shay Shay. My boy Shannon Sharp, if you, if you guys follow the sports ecosystem, Shannon Sharp is uh, a sports commentator. Sports commentator for First Take. And he also runs his own podcast called Club Shay Shay. So on Club Shay Shay, he, um, essentially, he essentially, holy, what's going on with this? Let me fix that. <laughs> but basically on Club Shay Shay, he essentially does a uh, you know an hour interview with different people you know what i mean and you know in that in that uh in that show got really really popular my last my last episode was about cat williams and when i did a live reaction with bovice and we were talking about how you know shannon sharp himself had because of that Cat Williams interview, he'd put himself in a new realm. So recently, he had an interview with Monique. And Monique is another comedian, legendary comedian, uh, who's unofficially crowned the queen of comedy, who also had a lot of gripes to say, you know, a lot of things to say during her show. And that interview also went viral, some 10, some million views. It was huge, right? Keep in mind, Shannon Sharp has done 120-some interviews. He's on year three of the Club Shay Shay podcast. You know, shout out to him. 
Because trust me, doing a podcast is not easy at all. You know what I mean? I don't I do not do a lot of interview podcasts. I've done some in the past. It's not easy. It's not easy to not only prepare, but you have to not you have to go to roll with the punches. And you also can't anticipate what people are gonna say. You know what I mean? So for me, in my eyes, when I when I looked at that interview, there was a lot of, you know, Monique going at different comedians, different people who've wronged her in the past, namely Tyler Perry, namely Oprah, people like, you know, uh Kevin Hart got some shots, a lot of people. But what intention what unintentionally happened is that later on a lot of comedians started coming at Shannon Sharp and disrespecting him in their comedy routines. Guys like Mike Gibbs, guys like Eddie Griffin, individuals like Corey Holcomb. And within the past two or so weeks, Shannon Sharp has been, you know, rightfully so, in my opinion trying to go back at them and clap back at these quote-unquote haters. I think, I, I don't know, man. It, it lives, left me conflicted at first because at first I thought you're giving them cloud and attention because they see you, Shannon Sharp, as a meal ticket, as somebody who not only has clout but who has influence. You know what I mean? And when you have clout and influence, there's people who want to gain that from you. So what are they going to do? They're not going to speak glowingly and good about you. They're going to insult you. And once they insult you, that gets your attention. And unfortunately, Shannon Sharp fell in that trap. He almost he almost fought Mike Epps. And Mike Epps went on online and said, hey, I don't do no fighting. I do bing, 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 bada boom, bing, bing, insinuating he's going to shoot that dude. I'm like, damn. We really went from cracking jokes to shootouts. Niggas are in their 50s. They're talking about shootouts. Like, wh what? Have we completely lost the plot or have we lost a plot? I'm like, damn. <laughs> but that's where it went to. Luckily, Shannon Sharp and Mike Epps actually met in person and they talk like grown men. And I like that. These are men who are in their 50s. They have children. They have grandchildren. There's there's no point to have gunplay, gunplay involved. Uh, I think that when Shannon Sharp had that interview with Cat Williams, it was so huge and so impactful that it led to, you know, a lot of events, a rolling of events of exposing the truth about a lot of the comedy industry and a lot of industries, a lot of jealousy, a lot of hate. And, you know, I'll, I'll just say this as a black male, it showed some level of fragility amongst the community of black men, because a lot of what Kat said were his opinions and his versions of the truth. A lot of what he said was also jokes, exaggerations, hyperbole, because he's an entertainer, right? So... Everything he says is not going to be verbatim, but to see such a fragile reaction from so many black men, that made me disappointed because I thought better of us. You know what I mean? Why are you letting people's words not only affect your mood, but affect potentially your future where you're making live threats 
on the internet of not only violence but death. You see what I'm saying? It, where I, you're accusing a man of being gay, right? Even like you're letting gay jokes get to you, and you're even using gay jokes to dis disrespect and insult another man, right? It just looks goofy to me. And for me, I understand the comedy world that you are supposed to push the edge. You are supposed to be funny. But there's better ways to do it. And I think classier ways to do it. And when we pile on and hate on each other, it says a lot more about us than it says about our haters. Let me tell you something, man. I know some people who hate me. And they're probably listening right now. You better keep listening because I'm going to keep on shining. <laughs> you bitch ass nigga. But the fact remains is that I'm not going to pay attention to these people. I'm not going to give them shine. I'm not even going to give them my attention. I used to. And it was a detrimental thing. It's hard, though. It's hard to know that people are talking about you in certain type of ways and are disrespectful. And you want to clap back at them. But guess what that does? That takes you down to their level. And I'm above them. I'm just going to keep it real. I'm above my haters. Shit, I would hate me too. I understand that. Right? But I'm above these bitches. I'm just keep it real. But acknowledging them is something that validates them in the sense. Right? So I say all that to say this. Shannon Sharp himself should. And I think he's taking the necessary steps. He should get away from these negative influences and voices and people who are talking about him and instead of focusing on them focus on the people showing love build on what you've already built you know what i mean it's 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 you know it's hard though it's hard because it, you know you'll pay attention to the negative more than you pay attention to the good but it's because I, I personally believe that's human nature but focus on the people showing love focus on the people who are appreciating your talent who are helping you build who are helping you nurture and water your garden instead of the people who are trying to burn it and tear it down and i think i'm gonna end the podcast on that note i appreciate every single person who spent the last 30 some minutes with me i want y'all to have a blessed amazing day i appreciate each and every one of y'all we're going to build. We're going to build. I apologize for taking so long I'm talking to y'all. <laughs> but we're going to build. And that's why I appreciate every single person. Don't forget to give me that five stars. Get in the comments. Go review on Apple Podcasts and say, hey, I love this podcast. Give me ideas. You know my socials, where they are. Check out the Patreon. This won't go on Patreon. This is going to go directly up right away. I appreciate y'all. You know what I mean? Make sure that we we like D-Lo Brown, boss man D-Lo. Get in with me, rock with me, and I'm out. Big broadcast, episode 69. Who's